Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Just a few minutes left. I'll try to get through this um, before the time allotted. Um, it may seem rushed. It's a very important topic and idea, so I'll, I'll do my best to give it some justice. But um, John chapter 12, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip which is of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's an odd thing. <laughs> I, I could almost, I could probably prophesy and say, you've probably never had that happen in your life. Uh, it, but maybe, I mean, it, it, we, we've had some interesting situations, but not like that. Men just coming, uh, we would see Jesus. Where's he at? Verse 22, Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. sure thank you for your Son and all he's done for us. May he be honored and glorified here this morning. May you be high and lifted up. Pray that you be well pleased. Help our hearts as we hear your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now that's a strange response when you look at it uh, at face value. And, and you know, you have these, these Greeks. So it, it, the Bible takes the time to note to you that they're not from Jerusalem necessarily. They're not, they're not you know, they're not from around there. <laughs> they show up from out of town. And what they want to know is, where can I find Jesus? And then they get to Jesus, and when he gets there, Jesus' response is not quite, it's not what I would have said. It was, oh, I'm glad you're here. Let me tell you about Jesus. He died on the cross. He did all these great, Jesus is like, you know, it's very cryptic, <laughs> the way he responds. And that's, that's how the Lord does things. We, we you know, we, we have this idea that, man, we could probably pin down with the Bible what Lord, the Lord would probably do in somebody's life and how he would work and you're not going to pin that down. <laughs> you're not. You're not going to tell Jesus how he's going to respond. He's just. He's the Lord. He. He. Yeah. He. He. He has a way about him. And so, 
the what's happening here is we're about six days from Pentecost. So all this celebration is being drummed up. All these people are flooding into Jerusalem, and they're all going to the temple, and they're getting all excited. Hold your place in John 12 and look at Acts chapter 2 real quick. And I know you know this, but it's worth looking at. Just stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. We'll read this real quick just to give you this mindset and and, and to put you in this frame of mind. Uh, Verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under, under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So what is tongues? Every man heard them speak in his own language. That's very very different from what people call tongues today. Now, verse 7, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galilean? And how how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, do you get the picture of what's happening here? There's a there's there's a feast in Jerusalem, which is a a massive religious event and huge crowds from all over the world are are descending upon Jerusalem to take part in this. Can you imagine what the conversation must have been like on their way up to Jerusalem? This man named Jesus called Lazarus out of a tomb (laughs) Like he was dead for four days and he walks up and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out and lepers, I mean, people that have leprosy, he's just tell them, you know, he just tells it to go away and it goes away. People that can't walk, he grabs them by the hand and picks them up. People that are dead, he's raising them from the dead. I mean, that must have dominated the conversation. This is a this is a Passover like we've never seen before. And they're saying he's the Messiah. I mean, I'd have a hard time. Believing he's not with what he's been able to do and, and the great works that he's been able to perform to prove that he says who, who he is, who he says he is. So that just dominates the conversation. And and as these men show up, they want to see Jesus. They're supposed to be there to worship at the, you know, the Passover. They're supposed to be going to the temple and giving these sacrifices and joining all these great these great things. But all they want to do is see Jesus. When was the last time you just wanted to see Jesus? When was the last time you met somebody beside you or someone you knew that was saved who wanted to see Jesus? All we hear today is people mocking Jesus and questioning every aspect of his life and what he did. And did he really what did he really live? Did he, it's just it's a bunch of whining and complaining about something they know absolutely nothing about. But everybody has an opinion and, and that's where we are. But now, why did they come to Philip, though? I, I find that very interesting. Look back in John chapter 12, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, obviously, maybe they've been asking around town, you know, if I want to find this Jesus guy, how do I get to him? And they said, go talk to Philip. 
if we asked your family, <laughs> if they wanted to get to know Jesus, would you be the person they named? Well, they say, yeah, you want to know Jesus? Talk to my cousin, talk to my aunt, talk to my mom, talk to this family member, this co-worker. I know people who know Jesus. I don't care about him. But if you want to know who Jesus is, I can point you to the person that knows him. Now, in John chapter one, we won't turn there for sake of time. The Lord finds Philip and says, follow me. Philip follows him. And then what's the very next thing you read about Philip? What did he do? He immediately went to Nathaniel and said, we have found him. And Nathaniel says, can any, can any good thing come out? Are you, are you sure you think you found him? He said, come and see. Come and see. And he did. He came, he saw, and he stuck with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and then when you consider the simplicity of it all, there, were, there, were, there was no banquet, there was no right. basketball game, no baseball right. game, no pizza party. There was no, there was no event. He just went out and said, hey, you need to come see the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we found who we've been looking for. It's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Come and see. And, and you know, we kind of lost sight of that. We think we've got to spend, you know, $10,000 on a massive event so we can just tell somebody about Jesus. Just find a street corner, pick up a sign and some tracks and stand there and tell people to come and see. Amen. And so, praise the Lord. That's, that's, they, they came to him, and that's, that's, what, that's what they got. They, they were brought to Jesus. Philip, Philip goes on from there in Acts chapter 6. He's, he's considered a man of honest report and full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. In Acts chapter 8, he started a revival in Samaria, and then he went and won the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. Amen. Philip was a faithful man, and when they wanted to know who Jesus was or how to see him, they came to Philip. Is that true of your life? Do people know you? Do people identify you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, or would they have no idea if we asked them about, about your relationship to Jesus Christ? I used to work with people. They find, uh, brother and I from church worked together and everybody in that entire place knew exactly who we were and what we stood for. There were some knockdown drag out conversations in that building uh, based on the fact that we were Bible believing Christians. But then we would suddenly have these people after we just there's 10 people in front of us. It's me and him versus these 10 people. And we're just wearing them out. And everybody's making fun of them now because they look stupid because the word of God will confound the wisdom of this world. It's not because there's anything special about us. We were just bold enough to stand there and say something. And then other Christians in the room would come around, you know, in the dark corner and be like, <laughs> I'm a Christian also. Why didn't you come out and say something when all these people are standing there facing us down? And so anyways, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to live that way. But what I want to show you, what I want to point out to you with the, the few minutes that we have left, what I'd like you to see from this passage and ultimately what will be the message is in verse 23. Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified. The hour is come. Now, like I said, we're, we're six days before Pentecost. We're in chapter 12, chapter uh, uh you know, 13, they have the Lord's Supper, that, that, that last supper before the Lord leaves and goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And John, in the book of John, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, the Lord has these beautiful prayers where he's preparing the minds and hearts of his disciples because he's leaving. I'm, I'm leaving. You're not coming with me. And so he takes ample time to prepare them ahead of time and he prays to his father and he sets this entire thing up and then you get to chapter 18 and the Lord's in the garden of Gethsemane and then he's met face to face with 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 Judas and but we're all the way back in chapter 12 and he says the hour has come and now that seems to us like a very specific point in time what's happening in this hour 
What, what has come in this hour? Well, I mean, what, is, what does this even mean? Because this terminology is used multiple times. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world into the, uh, unto the Father, uh, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So in, ch- in chapter 12, it deals with his glorification. In chapter 13, the hour has come for him to depart. <laughs> Where's he going? Is it, and he's leaving this hour? What does this mean? I mean, there, there, has to be, there has to be more to it than just, all right, I'm, I'm leaving right now. He's not leaving right this second. So there, it, it becomes some very confusing terminology. Look at chapter 17. Let's see it again. John 17. So I'm using it again in another context, or, or it deals with his glorification again. Verse 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. So there again, it points to his glorification. Look at chapter, uh, Mark chapter 14. And I hope you came wanting to turn through your Bible and study and learn what it says and See some things, and I hope this whets your appetite and makes you want to go home and study and, and you know, try to figure out what the Lord's talking about. And Verse 41, And he cometh the third time, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So, it deals with this, it deals with this departing, his glorification, and now, now he's being betrayed. <laughs> So which one is it? What is this hour? What is he talking about? So get it one more time. Look at Luke 22. Luke 22. And if you don't take the time to study, this is where scoffers get their ammunition from. They don't know what the Lord is talking about, so they just say it's a contradiction. And it's not a contradiction. You just, you know, it's line upon line and precept upon precept and here a little and there a little. And you need to go study. Verse 13, Luke 22, verse 13, and they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so now it's related to his suffering. So what, what in the world, you know, if you're looking at this again at face value, is he talking about? He said the hour is come multiple times, and in each instance, he's talking about something completely different. There, there is when it when it comes, we 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 often have a very shallow view of all that the Lord suffered on the cross for us, in in terms of His suffering for our sins and the payment that He paid. We we assume it was just He was nailed on a cross and He hung there and died, and that's bad enough. I mean, that's pretty rough. But in John chapter 12, what he's telling you is what he's about to go through was so emotionally heavy and he was beginning to be filled with so much sorrow. Look, turn back to John chapter 12. Let me show you. The pain that he suffered, all that he suffered started long before they, they, they punched him, long before they whipped him, long before the crown of thrones, long before he's nailed to the cross. He began to go through an emotional battle like you wouldn't believe for you. 
John chapter 12, look, at, look, at, look back at verse uh, 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Now is my soul troubled. I am, I, he has set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. And he knows exactly what's going to happen to him when he gets there. Right. And, and we love this, and it's, it's correct, this heroic picture of Jesus walking into Jerusalem and doing exactly what he said. There was a lot of pain and heartache involved in that. Amen. And though it breaks our heart to consider what happened to him on the cross, look, look, I want to show you kind of a key passage that, that ties us together. Look at John 16. Look at just a few more places and then I'll be done. John 16. And I, and I think this idea, the idea presented here really ties this, this together. John 16, verse, verse 19 Verse 19, now Jesus knew, now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, do ye inquire among yourselves of that, of that I said, a little while and you shall, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. Now look at verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. When a woman is giving, giving, giving birth to a child, when does the pain start? Sometimes hours, sometimes days before the baby ever comes along. Now that that's just in terms of contractions and and the, and the immediate birth, not counting all that she deals with through the entire period of carrying that baby. Right. We just had a baby, and my wife, praise the Lord, had a had a fairly easy pregnancy, but it's still not easy considering all that she had to go through and that she had to do and carrying the baby and, and the baby's kicking and the baby's turning, and the baby's moving and she's got a ton of morning sickness and she's got all these things she's having to deal with. The heartache from that process started long before she goes into actual labor. Right. The sorrow the Lord dealt with started in John chapter 12 as the weight of what he would deal with began to fall upon his shoulders. Now turn to Mark chapter um, Mark chapter 14, and we'll get a more a more clear illustration of it. We'll get a little more specific, and then we'll wrap it up. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Now remember, John chapter 12 is about four or five days before the Lord goes to the cross. By the time we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, we're just a day or two away before he finally goes to the cross. And I want you to see the pain and the anguish he's in, and nobody has touched him yet. <clears throat> Considering what he had to do for you and for me on the cross, that he would be made sin for us, his father would turn his back on him, 
all that he's going to go through is, is, is I, don't, I don't even know so much that it's about the nails and it's about hanging on the tree, though I'm sure that's part of it. But the fact that the sinless, perfect son of God is about to be made sin, your sin and my sin, so that salvation could be made, so that he could become the author of eternal salvation. Amen. Look at verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I, sh- while I shall pray. And he talketh with him, and he talketh with him Peter and excuse me he taketh with him Peter James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and saith unto them my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death tarry ye here and watch and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him and he said Abba Father all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. <clears throat> and he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were very heavy. Their, their eyes were heavy, neither, neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The hour is come. He prayed and asked his father, If this hour might pass from me. If this hour might pass. Do you know what the answer was from heaven? There was no answer. There was no response whatsoever. So the Lord got up and he went and met Judas face to face and let them take him and he went to the cross. Now, what's happening here in this garden, and we'll end with this, what's happening here in this garden, I I want you to get the full picture of it. God is talking to God, right? Jesus Christ is God may manifest in the flesh. He's talking to his father in heaven who is God in heaven, right? God is having a conversation with God. And the question is, is it possible for me not to do this? Is there some other way we can redeem the souls of man? And God speaking with God could not come up with a different way. So so how did Islam come up with a different way? And how did Roman Catholics come up with a different way? And how did the Methodists come up with a different way? And how did atheists come up with a different way? And how did, how did you, who are not saved, obviously come up with a different way? If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, have you found some other way to have your sins forgiven and your soul saved? Isaiah 53.11 says it pleased God to bruise him. If that's what pleases God, why on earth would you consider your works? or your righteousness, or your religion, or your culture, or your background, or any other way, because when God sat and spoke with God, they could figure out no other way for man to be saved. So Jesus Christ went to the cross, and he hung there, and he died. After suffering the emotional turmoil of knowing what he would go through on your behalf, but just like when that woman has that baby and the pain is over, and when that corn of wheat falls into the, into the earth and dies, it'll bring forth much fruit. 
pain is over. Amen. Philippians 2 says, he, says that after he made himself a servant, after he humbled himself, after he was obedient even unto the death of the cross, verse 9 says, then he was highly exalted. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, why not? What have you found that's so much better? We need to know about it because if we've been misled all this time, we would love to know so we can get things right. If you haven't, why would you wait one more second to not trust in somebody that loves you that deeply? I would encourage you to do so today, brother. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.